<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to the Career Contessa podcast, your shortcut to be more fulfilled, healthy, and successful at work. I'm your host, Lauren McGowan. The truth is, not everyone will enjoy managing people, but luckily, you don't have to become a manager to grow your career. Leadership expert and author of Happy at Work, Robin L. Garrett, is here to share how do you know if management is right for you, the ways to advance your career if management isn't the route you want to take, what makes a good manager, and how new managers can be successful in their first 90 days. And don't forget to take your time to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. A little insider tip, one review equals a thousand new downloads, and that's the number one way that you can support our show so we can be back here each week. And if you're a new manager looking for tangible advice for how to make the most of your first 90 days, don't forget to check out the new manager manual. It's our online course that teaches you how to develop a structure with your team, questions to ask, and provides a framework for being a great manager. I'll link to it in the show notes. And now this is the Career Contessa podcast. Hi, Robin. Welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Okay, so tell us about your path to becoming a leadership coach and the author of Happy at Work. I became a manager back when I was 22. So I have been in management and leadership for quite a long time within the corporate space. And I worked for many startups, a couple of different startups. And if you're familiar with startups, it can be kind of a wild ride where you start out with two people in the back room of somewhere. And the next thing you know, you're in that seven, eight figure zone, hiring as many people as you can, you know, working with investors. There's there's a lot happening there. So that's where a lot of my experience came from was sort of riding that experience as you go through those periods of hyper growth and seeing all the phases that come along with it, obviously managing many, many people along the way. As I got later into my career, I became particularly interested in organizational leadership and culture and how to structure a business so that it works really well. And so I started working specifically in that area. And I've been doing that for a number of years now. And Happy at Work just came out last year. And it is a great handbook for anybody who is looking to build a healthy, functional corporate culture. So did you want to write this book because you had a lot of people who were coming to being unhappy at work and didn't know what's the secret sauce to be happier? Or did you have this personal experience? I guess what made you say, I have to write this book, people need it? A lot of times businesses want to sort of just take the quickest, easiest route to fixing culture. They want to like cross it off their list so they don't have to worry about it anymore. And we live in this era where 
businesses are doing engagement surveys all the time. And they're like, our engagement survey results aren't as good as they want, as we want them to be. You know, how do we fix this? What do we do? And then they say, we're going to buy everybody a nice vest. That'll cheer everybody up. And so what they tend to do is attempt to, in a low budget way, sort of sprinkle something on top that sounds good in terms of culture, because we've come to we've come to think that culture really is these superficial, allegedly fun things that go on top of a business. But really what a business culture is, is the small daily interactions and expectations and norms of the business. So if you're supposed to be working all the time, your boss expects you to respond to everything very quickly. You've got this huge plate of work that you're responsible for. All your coworkers are panicked and stressed. That's the culture of the business. And so I created Happy at Work because I wanted businesses to have a real practical guide for how to actually retool and achieve the type of culture that they say they want if they really want to go through the steps of getting there. Yeah, absolutely. I I just wrote a post the other day or something I'm going to write if I haven't written it already is all, all about microcultures mm-hmm. and thinking about how, you know, there's the company culture that they say on their career site, yes. maybe their glass door, and then the microculture of like the individual team and how that actually has the daily impact on your growth, your retention, your engagement, your productivity, and how like we don't talk about microcultures enough at a workplace. And to your point, a company culture might be like, here's free swag for everybody and ping pong tables, but really it's little things like what holidays do you take off? Or like, when do you recognize certain employee resource groups? How do you fund those? Like all that little stuff. So that's a, that's really interesting. And it's good that your book exists because companies still need some help with that. Yes, they do. I want to go back to management because especially when I was coming up my career, management was the goal. And it was the thing that we were really working toward. And it felt like, you know, that the corner office kind of feeling. But now there's data that shows that only about 38% of people want to be a manager. And I want to know what is going on with the manager reputation? (laughs) It's true. It's true. So, you know, and it's interesting because your, your first point is really interesting I guess there was a point in time where we could say a lot of people wanted to become managers. But what I think is probably actually more true is that people want career growth. They want opportunities for themselves. And there are lots of different ways to advance in your career. And management is one path. One thing that is really important, like before we could talk about anything else is if you seek a career path that is going to include management, you have to be pretty heavily interested in working with people, resolving conflict, bringing people together, building teams. That is a huge percentage of what management entails. So for example, if you hate conflict and hate when, you know, coworker one is is frustrated with coworker two and you just don't want to deal with that at all, Management is probably not the spot for you. Now, there's lots of other ways, like I said, to advance in your career, but we have to be kind of honest about that because otherwise what happens is all of a sudden you find yourself with certain responsibilities that aren't really what you wanted. You wanted to be recognized for your expertise. You wanted more independence and freedom and recognition, but those things don't necessarily come with management. Management is its own whole set of skills. So it's important that we're honest about that, I think, because otherwise I I think we do a disservice to the people who are on the team and to the person who's getting into that new role. 
So you just answered one of the first questions we had for the podcast, which is like, should you become a manager? And the the quick answer is like, do you do you like people problems and working with people? You mentioned if you don't, there are some other things you can do to advance your career. Can you just name a couple of those? Because maybe somebody knows they're not right for management, but that really appeals to them as like you said, the growth part. Yes, there are all different ways. So the there are a couple of different paths, right? So the traditional path that I think people think of is I'm on a team. I'm very good at the thing that this team does. It's marketing or or anything really, engineering. And so then I become the manager of this team. And so I think what people assume is that then like their technical expertise will help guide the team. And then if they get good at that, they'll go up and up and up until eventually, you know, they reach whatever level of success they are seeking. But that is not the only way to be successful. Continuing to gain expertise and experience in a particular area or even in a broad number of areas are also good ways to advance in your career. That's how you can access more senior titles and individual contributor roles that are more senior within organizations that recognize that experience. Now, you might still need to make some lateral or like cross-company career moves. That can be a good way to say, okay, well, you know, I've got five years of experience in this particular area and I've achieved this whole laundry list of, check out these metrics, right? And so you might then, if your company isn't saying, okay, well, here's a new position that's available based on that experience, you might need to take a look around and say, all right, who's going to value this the most? And that is a, a important career strategy to be aware of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's almost like making lateral career moves that are yes. still, even though the direction seems lateral, they're still career growth moves. It's still something yes. new for you. Yeah. And then I think the other one that you hear a lot is you don't want to be a manager. What about being continuing being an individual contributor? I did interview someone once and she was like, if you ultimately want to go up the food chain, you know, of, of work and careers and offices and things like that, she's like, people management is, is part of it. You know, it's, it's a natural part because, or, you know, just working more across collaboratively, the higher up you get in your career. So I think you're also just making a really good point about like trying to be honest with yourself about maybe what parts of people management are deal breakers and which ones like you can deal with, you can have, you know? So that's really interesting. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy. Indeed connects you quickly to promising candidates and all of the automated tools help with screening, scheduling, and messaging. And if you need to do a virtual interview, it's as easy as clicking a link. No need to download new software and go through any unnecessary tech troubles. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of the Career Contessa podcast, you will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash Contessa. Just go to indeed.com slash Contessa right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Contessa. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Hi, everyone. I'm Peyton Sarton, host of the Note to Self podcast. Note to Self is a space to embrace your unique qualities, get grounded, and ultimately have honest conversation. No topic is off limits. I began doing social media seven years ago, and since then, I've started a clothing line and this podcast. Note to Self is a place where people from every stage of life can come for advice, new perspectives, and to feel a little less alone. Whether I'm recording by myself or bringing along a friend, we will explore topics ranging from relationships and mental wellness to social media and entrepreneurship. Tune in to Note to Self every week for the sisterly advice you didn't know you needed and raw conversations you've always wanted. What do you think defines a good manager? So a good manager, like we said, is interested in the people and they spend time working on the team, constructing the team, empowering the team. And I think the word empowerment really has been almost poisoned by the corporate world at this point. People treat it like a buzzword. They don't actually take the steps that they need to achieve empowerment. But mm-hmm. if you're focused on becoming a good manager, there are there are a couple of signs to look out for. One way to tell a bad manager is that they don't spend very much time with their team at all. They spend a lot of time floating around, talking to other executives, you know, touting their achievements and bragging and positioning themselves so that they can continue to advance in their career. That's not a person that's doing a good job at management. That's a person who's doing a good job at self-promotion. Now, will that probably get you ahead in your career? Yes, unfortunately. Or maybe fortunately, if if that's the path that you're trying to take. But it won't make you a good manager, and it certainly will make you a good leader. A leader needs to spend a very significant, I'm talking 60 to 70% of their time, focused on their team and their team members. And then there's three things that they should be focused on if they want that team to be healthy and strong. You want the team as a whole and the individuals on the team to feel safe. You want them to feel respected, and you want them to feel valued. That is the structure that I set up in my book. We bring all of the different 100 techniques in the book back to those three ideas. Because if you were to ask two people, one person who hates their job and one person who loves their job, do you feel those three things at work? I find that every time they're going to say, absolutely not. I don't feel respected at all. I don't feel like my boss values me. It's extremely common. So they were safe, respected, and feeling valued, right? Yes. Yep. So if you're a manager listening to this and you want to make sure your team feels that way, what are some things that you can do to see how your team feels about you? The the good news is there's tons of things that you can do. One, if you want to know how your team feels about you, it's really important to have open communication. So sure, I assume you're probably going to be seeing engagement survey results, and those are important. Take a look at those. But if you're using that as your main channel to receive feedback, that's a little bit of a red flag because you should know your people, you should know how they're feeling, and that should matter to you. So if you know that two people on your team are particularly stressed because they have a very demanding client or because seasonally this is the time of the year when we go through X, Y, and Z, particularly, you know, it's a particularly intense time of the year, something like that. 
you should be aware of that. That shouldn't come as a surprise that then you see in the quarterly metrics. That's that's not going to work. You should be talking with them probably every day, but at very minimum every week, understanding what they've got going on, what their workload is like. This is a, a really easy place to fail is not being conscious enough of individual and team workloads. And, and I think the reason that people fall into that trap is because on some level, they know that the workload is too high and that they've set unrealistic expectations with their team, but they're not willing to get in and actually prioritize. So they just keep this distance and that pushes all of the weight and responsibility onto the employees. And so then you turn around and you say, well, I don't know why everybody's burned out. You know, I'm doing fine. They, I can handle it. Why can't they? So you have to manage those relationships, be conscious of the workload. And then if you want to improve the culture or if you want to ensure that people have an opportunity to be happy within their roles, there are so many things that you can do. In the book, I talk about 100 different areas and they fall into 10 categories. But there are some that are gigantic, right? So, you know, sometimes at some places, compensation, taking on that issue can be an immovable wall, right? That can be a very difficult path to go down, but you can be an advocate there. And if you win, then that will make a big difference in how your team is feeling because you've increased their baseline stability and you've increased the way that you're valuing them. But there's other small things too. Safe is a really good category to think about because are there small ways that you can ensure people understand that they belong here, that this is a place that welcomes them, that you're going to protect them, not just throw them under the bus or fire them tomorrow. Those often are a lot more basic. And if you can, if you can offer that kind of stability, it makes a big difference. Yeah, absolutely. I saw actually a post on LinkedIn today and it was like company culture is paying people well and like leaving them alone. <laughs> yeah. And it was like, I think it was meant to be a little tongue in cheek, but I understand it, imagine because that. It, it could yeah, be that easy. It could be that easy. And I understand the point about pay because you said value, safety and respect and fair compensation and being paid you know, enough to have those things. Yeah. You kind of can buy those things. And, and that the reality is, is that money is important in people's lives. Like maybe one of the most important things. So I don't want us to have this conversation with rose colored glasses and be like, Oh, don't worry about pay. People don't care about that because ultimately it is important. But to your point, there are some easier wins than going up against compensation. Cause the reality is your manager maybe can influence compensation, but they might not have full control over compensation. I mean, it depends on the company and a lot of variables, but yes, exactly. So I'm curious too, if somebody is a new manager, let's say they've recently been, you know, promoted or they want the promotion or whatever, they're coming into a new team and they want to set up a quote, happy team. What tips, resources, tools, et cetera, do you recommend? Like, where do they start in those first 90 days? What should their goals be? So if you're coming into a team, this is very common, right? Because most of us don't get to build our team from scratch. Most of us inherit a team. And sometimes it's a big team. Sometimes it's a small team. And it's always full of personalities because teams are made of people. And that's how people are, right? They're unique. They have backgrounds and experiences. So the first thing is get to know that team. There are a couple of mistakes that people make when they come into new roles. One of them is bulldozing, which is where you come in with your agenda and you're just going to push it onto the people without having any idea of what's going on. Sometimes that works. Most of the time, 
It doesn't work because there are reasons why the things that are happening are happening. If the team is made up of the right type of people, we'll talk about that in a second, then probably it isn't the case that the the things that are wrong, quote unquote, with the team are accidents. It's probably because of a variety of factors that are contributing there. So getting to know the people on the team, making sure you understand their perspectives is immensely important. And then once you've spoken to them, you understand, okay, what are the team's priorities? What's the construction of the team? What are our processes and workflows? You you have some knowledge to go off of. And then if we're being totally honest, we have to consider, like I said, the construction of the team, meaning the people who make up the team. I think Often, again, if you if you don't like conflict, this can seem really scary because now you're in charge of these nine people and maybe there are some issues. Maybe there's interpersonal conflict and maybe there is bad behavior on the team. There's a concept that we call permission to play. And that means that if you can't abide by certain principles, if you can't uphold our values as a team, if you can't treat other team members with respect and honor your commitments, then You don't have permission to be on the team. You cannot stay on the team. A lot of times people don't want to take this on because who wants to let anybody go or even put anybody on like a probationary status? No one wants to have to do that. But we have to be honest. Things have changed a lot in the business world. I say that, you know, there's always been a a high ceiling in terms of performance. You know, we expect you to be able to perform at these high levels. We're always looking for exceeds expectations, right? But I think what we don't talk about enough is that there's also a significantly higher floor than there used to be. It used to be that a lot of things were acceptable. And we can all think of dozens of examples of things that used to be fine. I used to be able to do that. But we have changed what our standards are. And if anybody on the team, for example, doesn't treat their colleagues with respect, and that could express itself in a variety of ways, we have to take that really seriously. And they need to be told, here's what's acceptable, here's what isn't. And then at the end of the day, you have to say, you might be the best engineer in the world, but you are only one person and you can only achieve so much as an individual. You can't work with this team. There is absolutely no way that we can achieve our business goals because it's bigger than any one person could could ever be. Do you recommend, I agree with all that. And do you recommend communicating this structure? Like, Hey, I asked some questions. I got, you know, here's what I, you know, like in your first 90 days, you are going to maybe sit down with people understand to your point about like, how does work get done here? What do people do? And then do you recommend together as a group coming up with this structure? Like what are the quote rules of our department and our team. And here's what we will accept, what we won't accept. Here's the expectations of this and that. Like I was always a big fan of management where you came up with a structure right away and you communicated that. So there was no miscommunication. People had a ton of clarity, but I also loved the idea of working with your team to be like, what are our rules for playing? You know, what is our expectation around that? And I never had a manager do that, but that's what I would have always wanted. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So part of what I think you're alluding to there, so empathy is a really critical leadership skill. So let's talk about sort of two different areas here. One is being able to empathize with your employees 
anytime you have a quote unquote, a new boss, you're coming into the team, there's a level of anxiety, especially if they don't know you. Either you've come from a faraway department, you've come from another company, you've come from somewhere and they don't know you, right? So they don't know what to expect. So sure, sitting down and saying, okay, for the first 30 days, I want to get to know how things work. I want to understand what our challenges are, and I want to understand what our goals are. And so I'm going to be observing during this time, and then we're going to have a period of like discussion and goal setting over you know days 30 to 60. That's great because, and, and you have to follow through on that, right? You can't then start bulldozing at day 15. That doesn't work, but it's very reasonable. You know what you're coming into. You know what you're trying to achieve to be able to set those expectations. And then they're going to be looking to you to see if you follow through on your promises. And so you have to do that. And so then, yes, you come into the idea of co-constructing. If you can, and we'll talk about maybe why you couldn't or why you could, but if you can, being able to say, here is, you know, here are some areas that I want to discuss what is expected and what is acceptable. Here's a good one. We think about communication, for example. If you pulled a room, take any conference room anywhere in the world right now and go in, pull everybody out and say, what is an acceptable turnaround time for responding to an email? I think everybody's going to give different answers. Or if you even ask them, you know, what is the ideal channel to ask this type of question or, you know, do this type of communication, you are going to get a variety of different answers. Setting basic tenets of what our communication principles and expectations are can really alleviate a lot of pressure. Because if you've got people who are expecting immediate responses and they're dependent on that and they're total email people, they're possibly going to be frustrated a lot of the time if they're not getting what they need. Now, if we've established that, you know, email is for your day-to-day communications, if you need a response in less than two hours, you need to send this other type of message or you need to make a phone call. That is a more clear and realistic way to, to set up those communications. Then you've got some rules, rules of engagement, right? And if people can follow those rules, then they can work together better. But it is important that those are co-constructed because that might sound reasonable to me to our turnaround time, but maybe it isn't. Maybe we work in 10 different time zones and I need to be more conscious of that. Or, you know, there can be all kinds of factors. So discussing that, people will always do a better job at achieving goals and meeting standards if they participate or even if they are able to set those things themselves, because then they're telling you, here's what's possible. And a lot of thought goes into those those ideas. Yeah. yeah. And I think people love having a piece of the ownership of that. Like we absolutely it, it makes you feel like you truly are part of a team versus you're just in there following a leader somewhere. Yes. And that's so important because I think we've toyed with that too much. We've tried to help people feel like they're involved, right? We've seen so much of this. They have to actually be involved. You can't say, I'm going to take your feedback, but then I'm going to do whatever I want. You have to you have to give them real permission to create that. And then you have to listen to them. You have to abide by their standards. That's hard for a lot of people because they're used to keeping the control and they're used to valuing their own perspective above everyone else's. It's not the easiest switch to make, especially depending on where you are in your career and you know what sort of like emotional maturity level you're at. Leadership requires a ton of emotional maturity. So I just wanted to say that because... 
because we do too much of the pretending like people have power and not enough of giving them real power. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. And I like that you mentioned emotional maturity. So two things you've said about being a good manager and if management's for you is emotional maturity and liking people. (laughs) I feel like those are two. Anything else you would add to that little checklist? The empathy is really important. You know, exercising empathy as a skill and recognizing that that's something that you need to build over a lifetime is very important. And treating leadership itself as a evolving skill, like sort of a moving target that you need to be working on all the time. Those are extremely important. Yeah, I like that. This is why I think leadership and and management training is so important. I know some companies are offering it. But yeah, it, it should be an ongoing thing. I mean, my dream is that companies would have leadership and management training ongoing and you're assigned a career coach that you're working with on a regular basis. That's just like my dream for management. I think like workplaces would be way more successful with that. As we wrap up, I'm curious, what are some 2024 management trends you think that we should know about or you think we're going to be seeing? I feel like one of the trends over the last few years is that managers have just been hammered by everything. It's their fault for everything. Are we going to see any management love in 2024? For what can we expect? So I doubt it. The, the, truth <laughs> is, the truth is that over the next 10 years, the business world and the world of work is just going to continue to demand more of managers. I think it's important to be honest about that and to kind of recognize that it is a, it's a hard job. Anything with people is a hard job because you can't just line up all your ducks and say, perfect, yeah. I have everything where I want it. No, these are human beings. They're moving. You can't can't force them to do anything. You can't, you you can't control everything. But I think a really important, a quote unquote trend to be conscious of is what's going on in the job market. Because obviously the job market has continued to change each one of the past five years pretty significantly. So we saw a really big swing toward in, in employees' favor, in job seekers' favor. And now we've seen some really fluctuating, especially in certain areas and industries, we've seen some really difficult circumstances where it's it's more difficult to leave a job, it's more difficult to find a new job. You've got a lot going on in the job search process. And the reason I bring that up is not necessarily just, you know, to advise you on hiring. But it is to remind you that businesses are now going to need to reveal their true colors. In the past couple of years, they were forced to be employee-centric and employee-friendly. And now maybe at least they perceive that some of that pressure is relieved. And if 10 businesses do it, 10 more are going to want to do it because they feel like it's acceptable. They're operating within these standards of behavior. So we have to stop asking just what's normal. And it's very important that we ask ourselves what's right. And those two things in business are honestly quite different because business is full of things that have been normalized. We go back to our point about compensation, right? Just because it's potentially normal to pay at this level, every other business pays at this level. If that's not a livable wage, it's not the right thing to do. So again, you might not be in a position to control that, but if you're in a smaller business or if you're in a more senior position, you probably are. And so making that a priority, making sure that people have healthy compensation, extremely important. So be aware of those market conditions, but then also hold yourself responsible. That's what people want to see. And you are in the spotlight. That's another little trend. It's very easy. We see lots of these leaks, right? Your Zoom call gets recorded and leaked. Your email gets screenshotted. 
if you're a leader, it's reasonable to assume you're in the public eye in a way. You're certainly, you know, in the spotlight when it comes to everybody who's on your team, they're all looking at you. And so if your conduct was to be made public tomorrow, you want to make sure that that's conduct that you can be proud of. If your salary list was published tomorrow, you want to make sure that you don't have anything to hide. That's a pretty good way to future-proof yourself. It's really quite simple once you once you make the commitment. Yeah, I like to say these are common sense things that are not common practice, right? Yes, yes exactly. <laughs> well, Robin, this was great. I realized we didn't even get into the hybrid, virtual, distributed work management questions. So we have to have you come back and do a whole little conversation, not little conversation, probably big conversation about yes, that. Big because conversation. I, yeah, because a lot of people are trying to figure out how do I manage in that way, and especially being a new manager, like that's a whole other ballgame. So if you guys like this episode, let me know. You can send me a DM. You can comment on our Instagram. You can also rate and review our show. But tell me if you think we should have Robin come back to talk about that. Robin, tell everyone where they can find you. You have an amazing TikTok slash Instagram, your book. So tell them all the things so they can find it. Yes. Follow along with me. So I'm on TikTok. My handle is Courageous Leadership, or you can search my name, which is Robin L. Garrett. I'm on Instagram too. I joined a couple of months ago and I've been really happy to take off. I know not everybody is comfortable with TikTok, so it's been nice to find a new audience there. And then my book is Happy at Work. It was published in the fall. And so you can find that anywhere. It's in all local bookstores. You can find it at your online favorite retailer. So pick up a copy and I would love to hear what you think. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for talking to us about management. It's such a it's such a tricky position slash an ever-evolving position, but this has given us a lot to think about and some really practical tips. So thank you so much. And we'll put all the links to everything you just mentioned, your book, your TikTok, Instagram in the show notes. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Career Contessa podcast. Please take your time to rate, review, and subscribe. Little insider tip, one review equals a thousand downloads, and that's the number one way you can support our show. If you're a new manager looking for tangible advice for how to make the most of your first 90 days, check out the new manager manual. It's one of our most popular online courses, and it will teach you how to develop a structure for your team, questions to ask, and provides a framework for being a great manager. I'll link to it in the show notes. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.